please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, where we'll be looking this morning at verses 3 to 14. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, what, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pangs or birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Back in 2010, uh, Netflix or, uh, started a new television series uh, with Kiefer Sullivan, uh, the actor, playing the role of a, an investigator and anti-terrorist expert called Jack Bower. And it was called 24. And the idea of the program was that it was a 24-hour day in the life of an anti-terrorist uh, police officer, somebody whose job it was to stop a terrorist incident. And it was each series was 24 episodes long, and each, each episode was one hour of the day. So it was like in real-time television. And, and uh, for, tw- for 24 episodes, you had one day of this race to try and stop the terrorist. And uh, it became a blockbuster hit. Well, I couldn't help thinking of that as we were thinking about the year 2024 and thinking about that great race there is in time that we all have as time moves on and as the world is moving on rapidly. The world is moving to a rapid conclusion. The day when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will come back to this earth and every eye will see him and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is where the world is heading. And the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24 gave us signs to help us understand when his time of return would be near. 
down in verse 25, he said to his disciples, see, I have told you ahead of time. So this is a verse, this is a chapter of prophecy, and he is revealing to us the signs of his coming so we can be ready. And uh, this was given to the disciples of the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem. Jesus had just been in the temple and he had had a showdown with the leaders and he had left them uh, and stormed out really after uh, declaring the judgment of God on Jerusalem. And as they were leaving, the disciples had turned to the Lord Jesus and pointed out all the beautiful stones and the beautiful decorations on this temple. But the Lord Jesus gave them an astounding prophecy. He said, not one of these stones will be left on top of another. And that was a a phenomenal prophecy that, of course, came true uh, at the Roman invasion of AD 70, as I've explained uh, many times before. But Jesus and his disciples went out, as we read in verse 3, to sit on the Mount of Olives. The disciples, Peter, James and John, the inner circle, and Andrew, who was with them as well, Peter's brother, that four who we saw last week with the fishermen of Galilee, who were the closest to the Lord Jesus in the disciple band. They came with him and sat with him and they asked him, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, they were sitting there. They were looking back across the valley. They were looking back at the city of Jerusalem and uh, what they had heard Jesus say seemed phenomenal to them that this temple would be destroyed and removed. Now, you've got to understand about the building of the temple to understand why they were shattered at that. Not only was it beautifully decorated, not only had it taken over 46 years up to that point to build and it still wasn't finished, but some of the stones in that temple were 200 tons heavy. And that's a fact. You can Google that. You can look it up. Some of them are like 27 feet long and weigh 200 tons. Now, what on earth is going to move that? When, when this comes down, it's going to be the end of the world. That's in their thinking. And so they're saying to the Lord Jesus, you know, when is this going to happen? When, what is going to be the sign of your coming back and of the end of the age? And the Lord Jesus Christ answers their questions in what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's called that because it was given on the Mount of Olives. And it's one of the five teaching passages of Matthew's Gospel. And it's also recorded in Mark and Luke. Now in Luke, Jesus deals with the aspect of the destruction of the temple especially, and when the destruction of the temple will be. And uh, if you read Luke's account in Luke 21, you'll find there's differences to the Matthew 24 account because Jesus specifically details the destruction of the temple by the Romans in AD 70. In this passage, he concentrates on the signs of his coming and of the end of the age. And I thought this would be good for us to have a look at again this morning, because as we go towards a new year, we're thinking to ourselves, aren't we? You know, I wonder what's ahead of us uh, in this year, this roller coaster year. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen because the Bible tells us what those signs of Christ coming are going to be. The Bible tells us that there's going to be false Christs. There's going to be fierce conflicts. There's going to be fatal catastrophes. There's going to be failing churches and there's going to be fruitful conversions. 
Now, that's not a, a particularly happy list, is it? And uh, you may feel a little bit like Lucy in Peanuts. Stay out of my year. <laughs> if you're going to bring me news like that, stay out of my year. I don't want you bringing news like that. But this isn't my message. This is the message of the Lord Jesus. And a sober theology will make for a stable Christian. If you have a sober theology about what is going to happen in the future and what the Bible says, you'll be more stable for the years to come. The people who are shaken when things happen are the people who have been falsely deceived to think that life is going to be all rainbows and butterflies. And it isn't. It isn't. But there's going to be big things that are going to happen in the future and Christ has revealed them for us. So we want to know. You know, one of the uh, presidents of, the Amer- of America, Ronald Reagan, was uh, an interesting gentleman because he had contact lenses for two different needs in his eyes. In one eye, I think it was in his left eye, he had a visual impairment, which meant that he had a contact lens so that he could read paper in front of him on a lectern. But his right eye, he needed vision for the distance, for the future. So if you ever see him, pictures of him at the the lectern, he's nearly always standing sort of sideways on because that way he can see what's near and he can see what's in the head. As Christians, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be looking ahead, but we need to be looking down in our Bibles and seeing what the Bible says so that we understand what's ahead of us for the year to come. So what's in store for 2024? Let's find out by looking in Matthew 24 this morning. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ said there would be false Christs. And this is what he speaks of uh, in verse 4 and 5. He starts off, it says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Or the King James says, take heed that no one deceives you. I like that because uh, take heed is a command in scripture to actually do something. Watch out can be just like, you know, keep your wits about you. But when Paul said to uh, the apostles, so to the elders of the church, Ephesus, take heed to yourselves. He was saying, take care about how you live. Be conscientious about this. And this is what Christ is saying to us. Watch out. Take heed that no one deceives you. In, in the New Testament, there are ten warnings against deception. Jesus says, or the, through the apostles, beware of deception. And this is the number one concern for the Lord Jesus, for us as believers, for the years ahead. And we need to take that to heart. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. And then he says, for many, and underline the word many, because many comes up in verse 5. It comes up uh, in verse 5 again. It comes up in verse 11 twice in this context of deception. Uh, Later on with false prophets and those who are deceived. He says, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. And will deceive many. So the Lord Jesus warns us here that there will be many deceivers who will claim to be Christ. And it's an interesting way he words it. And for a long time I I never really understood how can you come in in Jesus' name and claim to be Jesus? It's a bit of a a strange thing, isn't it? Imagine me saying, I've come in the name of John Eichin and I am John Eichin. Those sort of things are a bit redundant. It doesn't really work like that. Uh, But it does with the Lord Jesus because he's gone back to heaven. And when those false Christs appear, they're going to be claiming to be the 
return of Christ or a reincarnation, some of them, of Christ. And so they're claiming to come in Christ's name and to be him. And this is what Christ is warning of here. He's warning of false messiahs to come in the future. Uh, And that's a warning especially for Israel because Israel is looking for the Messiah. But on a wider scale for the world. Because actually the world is looking for someone to follow. And we have had, ever since Christ said these words, many false messiahs. There were many false messiahs in the time uh, leading up to AD 70 with a number of messianic hopefuls, uh, Bar Kopfa and others. Uh, But in our own world, in in, in later years, we've had uh, many people claiming to be Christ. There was a lady called Anne Lee who was a member of the Shakers, the Shaker movement back in the 1700s who claimed to be Christ. Hong Shuang, who claimed to be Jesus' younger brother in the 1800s. Sun Myung Moon, the head of the Unification Church. David Koresh in the 1980s and 90s, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist who started what was called the Branch Davidian uh, group. Uh, You know, these people have been around. Even if you think of political leaders, think about Adolf Hitler. Someone pointed this out, I think it was Erwin Lutzer in one of his books on Hitler. Hitler had his own cross, the swastika. He had his own Bible, Mein Kampf, and he had his own kingdom come, the Third Reich, which he even said would last a thousand years, like the millennium. That's a false Christ. And Jesus said it, and uh, the Apostle John said uh, that there would be many antichrists as well as the antichrist to come in the future. Now, this is something we need to be on guard against. And every form of false Christ is something to repel. And I'm going to include in that something called New Ageism. Because the New Age, which is the sort of uh, movement behind so much of modern philosophy now today, basically says each one of us is a Christ. And that's making many Christs in the world. If you follow this teaching, you will become a Christ. This is what Jesus warned. There will be many Christs in the last days. So we need to be on guard because deceivers will come and will lead people away. And sadly, sometimes the people who fall for those are people who are in churches. You know, General Booth, the the founder of the Salvation Army, had a daughter who went after one of these men and went followed him for a number of years. Now, you wouldn't think, would you, someone so uh, a prestigious Christian family as the Booth family, the founders of the Salvation Army, would ever be deceived by something like this. But it can happen. And it did happen to them. So we need to take this seriously. The Lord Jesus said, watch out. These people will be there. And we need to be on guard against them. There's only one Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone can save you if you put your trust in him. Secondly, the Lord Jesus said there would be fierce conflicts, and that's what he speaks about in verses 6 and 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
Now, I hardly need to say anything about this at the moment, do I? Uh, because there are so many conflicts in the world. But this is something that is a definitely a, one of the trends of all history, but which has been increasing in the last days. All history has had wars. I mean, you just think, read the Old Testament and you'll see there's always been wars and rumours of wars. But in 1847, Samuel Colt sold his first revolver to the US government and the world changed. Guns have changed everything. And modern weaponry has changed everything. And that's why the last century was the first time we had to coin a phrase, world war. We'd never used that phrase in history before. But last century, we had to use it twice. And war is a a factor of life. Even when there's peace, Samuel Johnson said sarcastically, peace is when both sides are reloading. (laughs) And it's just about true, isn't it? You know, it's that gap between the two wars. And it doesn't last for long. Well, the Lord Jesus said, you will hear of wars. Now, notice that doesn't mean necessarily you'll be involved in wars, but you'll hear of them in the news. They'll be happening somewhere else. Or you'll hear of rumours of wars, you know, which is basically sabre-rattling. I'll give you a classic illustration of that in our world at the moment. China with Taiwan. Sabre-rattling, and that's rumours of wars. Uh, You know, they're flying their jets into Taiwan's no-fly zone, uh, deliberately setting off alarms and scaring everybody. It's the rumours of wars. It hasn't happened yet, but it creates a tension in the air. And uh, this is our world today. And I have to say, the Lord Jesus Christ warning here tells us with great reality that it's not going to go away. You know, we all want peace. We all want a world of peace. But unfortunately, wars are going to be a factor until the Prince of Peace comes, the Lord Jesus, and he takes the reins of this world. He says such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So when you see Russia invade Ukraine or perhaps somewhere else, maybe Poland, they flew a missile over Poland recently, uh, or if you see North Korea taking a, a strike at Japan Don't think this is the end of the world. These things must happen, Jesus said. The end is still to come. He he divided it even more precisely in verse 7, where he said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I I think the best commentary on that is to go to Daniel chapter 11 and do a Bible study of Daniel chapter 11, because there you have nations and kingdoms, and you'll see the difference. Uh, nations, the Greek word is ethnos, and it means an ethnic group of people, one ethnic group fighting against another ethnic group. But the, the word kingdom, basilia, uh, is a, a group of people under leadership who are connected that way. And in Daniel chapter 11, you have nations like Greece and Persia that fight each other, but then you also have kingdoms that fight against each other. And you have the historical situation with the Seleucids against the Ptolemies uh, in, in the ancient world. Well, that's again what Jesus said will happen in the days to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And especially, I believe, this is relevant to Israel. One thing about Matthew 24 is Matthew 24 has a very Jewish aspect to it, which is often overlooked by a lot of Bible commentators. But the Lord Jesus warned of 
false Christs. Later on in the, in the chapter, he speaks of a sign in the temple, in the holy place. He talks about those who are in Judea fleeing to the hills and so on. It's got a Jewish context to it. And the wars and rumours of wars especially are connected especially with Israel, but not exclusively. And uh, I think we have to understand that what we're seeing at the moment is a part of the signs of the Lord's return. The war in Gaza and the escalating tension in the Middle East is all prophesied in many places in the Bible. And uh, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 and other places, there are prophecies about wars that are going to happen in the Middle East before Christ comes back. And this is something we need to be sober to and real, uh, realistic about. It's a part of the signs that Christ comes. The most important place for us to have peace is between us and the Lord. You see, there is another kingdom that's fighting against kingdom. And that's the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of God. And you and I are in one of those two kingdoms, depending on whether we've received Christ as our saviour or not. If we haven't yet become a Christian, we're still in the kingdom of darkness and we're in conflict against the kingdom of God. And we need to come to the Lord and come to his side because that's the side that's going to win in the end. So turn to the Lord Jesus Christ if you've not yet done so uh, because the kingdom is coming, the kingdom of God. The third thing we see here that Jesus warns against is fatal catastrophes in verses 7 through to 8. It says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, if you have a King James Bible, uh, you'll notice there's an extra word in there. It's famines and pestilences and earthquakes. And that is actually accurate to the Greek, as far as I can tell. I've got the Greek here with me if anybody wants to see it. And there's a play on words in the Hebrew here, uh, sorry, in the Greek here. The word famine is the word limoi, and the word pestilence is loimoi. There's a one letter difference between the two. But Jesus is saying that these things will happen in the days leading up to his return. Uh, and they will be a sign that we're moving towards those times. He said there will be famines. Now, famine often goes with war, doesn't it? Jesus has warned about war, and famine often follows war because you have uh, destruction of food supplies, and you have men who should be working the fields out on the battlefield instead. And therefore, that creates food shortage. Well, Jesus says famine will come. And famine is a terrible thing to face uh, anywhere at any time in the world. But our world, especially with its growing population, is needing its food supplies more than ever. And not only food, but also water. A lot of military experts uh, will tell you, and you'll see this in newspaper articles like the one I've got here uh, from the Daily Mail, which goes back to 2011, which is not a recent one, of course. But it says this, in a report predicting weather for 2100, so it's still looking in the future, it says 18 million people, based on the population rising to 75 million, could experience water stress because there will be more droughts. That's by the Met Office. 
So water stress is going to be a reality. Another uh, newspaper article says already just over a quarter of the Earth's population face a struggle to obtain enough water. By 2025, as much as two-thirds of the world's population will be under stress conditions. Plus, we have uh, a decrease in bees and butterflies. You probably noticed that. And you may think, well, what, what difference does that make? Well, the bees and the butterflies help with pollination. And then, of course, you've got war on top of that. And we've had recently the, uh, uh, the great problem with Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, uh, being caught up in this war with Russia. So famine is a terrible reality that is stalking the world even now. And we do need to pray that prayer the Lord Jesus Christ gave us in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a a prayer the Lord taught us to pray every day, a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And the Lord will provide. But we need to pray for it. I have a friend who was uh, a, a missionary in the Philippines and he helped run from this country. He would, he would raise money and go back to the Philippines and he, he would raise money for pastors who were looking after orphan children in the Philippines. And there was one pastor, I, I won't say his name um, because some people may know him through the PWMI connections, but he, he, uh, he was looking after probably about a hundred orphans in his house, and I say house loosely, it was a roof on poles. And he was looking after about a hundred orphans every single night of the week. And they would give them porridge with hot chocolate mixed in as as a morning food. But you know, every night he got all the children together and said, children, we're going to pray for tomorrow's food. And they would pray for their food before they went to bed. Give us this day our daily bread. You know what? That's a, that's, and every day they were fed, and all those children were fed. It's a tremendous thing. But uh, the Lord is our provider. And even though there will be famines, the Lord has uh, given us his promise. And we can say with David, I have been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. It also says then pestilences. Now, pestilences is diseases, and uh, we hardly need to talk about that, do we, in light of the recent coronavirus. But uh, it may surprise you to know that actually coronavirus is not the only disease which has been on the radar for uh, the medical staff uh, and scientists over recent years. I heard this in in a survey recently that... For the last 30 years, they've been tracking at least one major New Year disease every single year. Like a coronavirus size, SARS, bird flu, swine flu. Every year for the last 30 years, they've been tracking them, been aware of them. Makes you realize, doesn't it, what you don't hear in the news. Um, the Wall Street Journal, when swine flu had, uh, came out, had a headline that said, Apocalypse Now. Uh, and it it is they picked up on the fact that this is you know there's something apocalyptic about it isn't there Uh, the rise in diseases and Christ said that would be part of the signs that he is coming back by the way it's very interesting to notice in scripture that plagues and diseases are a judgment from God in Exodus chapter 32 
after the golden calf incident, and the last verse of that chapter will tell you that God struck the children of Israel with a plague. And in, Jew, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, when David um, had numbered the people without taking the atonement money, uh, a census without any redemption for it, then the Lord sent a plague on Israel. And plague comes as a judgment from God. It's a sign, but it's also a judgment. And it's interesting to think about the way our world is and the fact that we had a global pandemic for the first time in recent years. Our world has become more and more godless. Who can doubt that that is in itself a judgment from God? Certainly manipulated by man to make his uh, own uh, best use of it. Certainly politicians and, and false leaders may well have done that. But the thing is, we need to see it as it is. One other thing I'd say about that before moving on is if you think about the David incident... The plague preceded the building of the temple. And when I'm looking at Matthew 24 here, that's an interesting connection, isn't it? The plague precedes the building of the temple. And that's one of the signs Jesus is going to give in the next part of the chapter. Uh, We're not going to get to today, but from verse 15 onwards. So uh, if uh, history is going to repeat itself, I think that's an interesting observation to be aware of. But Jesus also said there would be earthquakes in various or divers places as the King James says earthquakes in various places and he said all these are the beginning of birth pains now earthquakes of course have always happened uh, because ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden Romans 8 verse 28 verse 22 sorry tells us that creation has been groaning it's, Paul said this, he said, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole of creation was brought in to judgment and, and chastening uh, by the fall of Adam. And so it is under the curse of God and the world groans and sometimes it groans exceedingly. And as we get towards the last days, earthquakes are going to increase. And isn't it interesting, the very first day of this year, we had that earthquake in Japan with a tsunami warning. And it was just a little reminder to us all, the signs of the times are being fulfilled and the Lord is coming. And we need to take seriously what he said. You know, I won't embarrass anybody, but in one of our prayer meetings here at chapel, uh, somebody was praying, this is going back, probably a few years, so uh, the person may not even be here today, but uh, the the person prayed in the prayer meeting and they were praying about these things happening and they misquoted this verse and they said, Lord, all these things are the birthquakes. Uh, I just grinned from ear to ear when I heard that because although it was a misquote, I thought, spot on, brother. That's exactly what it is. It's a birthquake because Jesus said these things are birth pains. What are we giving birth to? We're giving birth to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is going to come in, but it's like the birth of a baby. Before you have a baby, you have contractions, don't you? And uh, those of you who've had children or have uh, uh, got mothers who had children, uh, you know, that's because they went through those contractions. And earthquakes and contractions are very similar. Because they start off small and they get stronger and they get closer together until the great moment when the birth happens. 
Jesus says, when you see these things happen, it's not the end, it's the beginning. He says, this is the beginning of the birth pains. So these signs are to be taken seriously. And uh, we've already seen some of those for this year. And then fourthly, failing churches. And this is a very serious one. I really want us to take to heart this morning. Verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. It's not a newspaper I read, but I I, uh, came across this quotation from the Christian Science Monitor. It's a newspaper that's mostly published in America. And you'll often hear it cited in the the news, in in the BBC and so on. And in 2009, Michael Spencer wrote this on March the 10th. He wrote an article entitled The Coming Evangelical Collapse which he said this, quote, we are on the verge within 10 years of a major collapse of evangelical Christianity. Now that was 2009. We're past that 10 years. But what he said, I think, was quite startling. And a lot of people have said, no, surely it could never happen. But actually it is what Jesus said. And it is what we're going to see in the future. You know, a survey done uh, a few years back of 2,527 churches in America found that their their, their numbers had grown only 2% in five years. And only 35% said they really felt their churches were alive and growing. That's something to take seriously, isn't it? The state of the church in the Western world. And why is this going to be the case? Not just in the Western world, but in in the whole world. Well, the Lord Jesus here talks about failing churches uh, because of a number of reasons. We'll go through quite quickly. Destruction, first of all, as we've read there. Persecution. You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Destruction is a major cause of the destruction of the church. I don't know if you get the Barnabas Aid magazine, but the uh, back page is very sobering, isn't it, about the uh, Christians in Nigeria. More than 50,000 Christians have been slaughtered in a genocidal campaign of anti-Christian violence that has swept across parts of sub-Saharan Africa. The worst affected area is northern and middle belt Nigeria, where around 45,000 believers have been killed by terrorists since 2009. Those are staggering numbers. And uh, we know that those brothers and sisters in Christ are safe with the Lord in glory. And they have their martyr's reward, uh, which will be worth everything to them. But for the church on earth, it's a part of what's causing the decline in numbers. And it's part of Satan's strategy. So we need to pray for those who are in the persecuted church. We read earlier from Hebrews, you know, pray for those who are in chains as if you yourself were in chains with them. And it's a good thing to get a Barnabas Aid magazine or open doors and to pray for the persecuted church because this is one of the things that will lead to the failure of the church as a, a, an international organization or body. Uh, also, desertion is another thing. On the back of this, in verse 10, Jesus said this, 
He said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. In Pilgrim's Progress, the story starts off with a man called Christian who leaves the city of destruction. And when he leaves the city, a friend of his from the town is going to be destroyed, decides to go with him. His name is Pliable. And he starts off and he starts off on the journey uh, to the heavenly city. And he wants to hear about all the wonderful things that there are in the heavenly city. But as soon as they hit the slough of despond, he decides to go back. He gives up from following Christian and he turns around and goes back. What John Bunyan was describing there is the reality for many people when they start out in the Christian life. All they can see is the the streets of gold. They can't see the battles here on earth. And they're not willing to follow Christ through the difficult times. And so he warns us here that at the time of persecution, many will turn away from the faith. Now, That is apostasy, to turn away from the faith is apostasy. And uh, it's the attitude that that basically we can give up Christianity to avoid persecution. And we need to be careful about this warning of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it will happen. And we need to be aware of the dangers of it to ourselves. We need to make sure we're really saved. True believers will go on with the Lord. I have no doubt about that. Um, He says later on, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And true believers will persevere in Christ. Like Pilgrim's Progress, they may have difficulties, but they'll just keep going with the Lord until the end. But many people uh, will go back. And it's because their outset attitude was wrong. Belief Sunday said lots of people join the church for the same reason some people blow up safes for what they can get out of it. (laughs) But when you hit difficulties, that's when many want to go back. So desertion will be a sad incident uh, demarking the uh, sign of the Lord's return in this area of failing churches. But he also says again about deception. Notice even in this same chapter, he's already warned about deception. He comes back to it in verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people the word many there comes twice there's going to be satan's wmd on the earth in the last days weapons of mass deception false teachers who are going to lead people astray regarding the truth and this also is actually what leads to the failure of the church you know many people will go back because they were promised something the bible never promised them I think the biggest danger to us in the, in the Western church today is the prosperity gospel. Because it teaches people that, you know, it'll be all health and wealth. And then when it isn't, well, it isn't true. And they give up. And that is, that is what is going to happen in the last days. I think the sign of the prosperity gospel itself is a precursor to this great falling away. We need to be careful. And deception is growing in the church with many false prophets. Now, this is my dilemma as a pastor. Because, you see, I can control to a degree who preaches from this pulpit and what is said from this pulpit. But I cannot control what you listen to on your mobile phone or what you watch on your television at home. I can't be there to do that. That's down to you. 
And that's where you are most vulnerable. I get text messages from people because they've heard this or that or the other. And I think to myself, what on earth are you reading? What are you listening to? Please, brothers and sisters, pray for discernment. All right? Pray for discernment. Before you start listening to some new hot preacher who's coming up on the phone, say, Lord, protect me from deception. Help me to make the right decisions about listening to this or not. And if it's not sound, help me to quickly know and turn away from it. And please be careful about what gets circulated as attachments in emails and text messages. Because people love to spread stuff around that they hear. Little sound bites of this and sound bites of that. And that is where false teaching is coming in. And people are getting upset about it. I have text messages from people who believe they've already taken the mark of the beast and the Antichrist isn't even here. But that's going round on the internet. It's false teaching. So please, please be careful and pray about it. That's a pastor's plea. But Jesus also said there would be decline in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. George Whitfield, when he became a Christian, he said this. He said, as soon as the love of God was shed abroad in my soul, I loved all of whatsoever denomination who loved the Lord Jesus in sincerity and heart. And I think that's a reaction that most Christians feel when they get saved. You feel a bond for the people of God and you're just thrilled to meet another Christian. There's another Christian at work. Oh, hallelujah for that. It's wonderful. It thrills you. It encourages you, doesn't it? But sadly, one of the things that's going to lead to the the failure of the church is a lot of people are going to turn into Jack Frost and the churches are going to turn into holy refrigerators because the love of many will grow cold towards their brethren. And it's going to be because of the increase of wickedness uh, in the church. Uh, That's very, very serious because love is the test of orthodoxy. That's interesting, isn't it? But you read John's letter, 1 John, the Apostle John. This is how we know we're in the truth. Because we love the brethren. And we love God and we love his commandments. Love is the test of orthodoxy. And we need to be careful that the love of this church doesn't grow cold. So continue to pray for our fellowship that in these last days, the Lord will make us spiritually hot and warm-hearted and gracious towards each other. And I pray, as he says, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's the encouragement, the perseverance of the saints there. There is another way of understanding that, of course, in verse 22, Jesus talks about uh, when he comes back, it'll res- he'll rescue those who are his people then. So that's another way to understand it. But I think the best way for me to think of it is uh, in terms of the perseverance of the saints. That matches the, com- uh, the context best to me. Finally, here's the good one at the end, all right? So you've got some encouragement to go home on. Fruitful conversions. The last thing Jesus says in verse 14 is, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The final sign Jesus gave in this opening part of of this chapter of general signs is the spread of the gospel throughout the whole world. 
Now, in one sense, that was already fulfilled in the days of the apostles. Colossians 1 verse 6, Paul says, all over the world this gospel is producing fruit and growing. So, in one sense, it has already happened. Romans 1 verse uh, 5 and verse 8 talks about the gospel going into all the world, by which I believe he meant chiefly the Roman world uh, under his ministry. But in, in the bigger context of scripture, and we know Christ had that uh, understanding of the world being the whole world, because in, in Luke 17, he talks about those who are uh, at different time zones uh, when he comes for his church. One who's grinding at the mill, that's the lady who's making the bread for breakfast and preparing the bread. Those who are still in bed. And uh, those who are working out in the field. Now, that's all going to be at the same time. So those are different time zones around the world. The Lord Jesus had a global picture uh, better than anybody uh, of, of the world. And he said that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And that's something we can rejoice in. Although time is running out, the church of Jesus Christ is reaching out. And by the means of technology, we have a great help to advance the cause of the gospel. Bibles are being translated into languages that have never been put into language before. I get, I get the uh, New Tribes Mission magazine, and it tells you about the different families. And you normally have two families go to work in a place like Papua New Guinea with tribes that have never heard the gospel before. And then they tell you the great day they've, they've seen people come to faith. And now they've, they've developed written language for this tribe. And now they're starting and they've just finished the New Testament. And then another one says, we've just finished translating the whole Bible. It's going to be checked by other, our overseers for, for accuracy and everything. But it's a thrilling thing. As the world is going worse, something is going better. And that is the gospel is reaching the nation. And that's still the nations and that is still the last command of Christ in Matthew's gospel to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and we need to make sure that we are a part of that I love the story about Oliver Cromwell when he was looking for metal uh, to be made into money he uh, went to the cathedrals and he sent his men out to go around the, the big Roman Catholic cathedrals and he said, go and find out where you can find all the metal. And they came back and they said to, to Cromwell, they said, the only place we could find silver was in the statues of the saints. Cromwell's reply was wonderful. He said, we'll melt the saints down and we'll put them into circulation. Now that is a picture of the gospel. You and I need to be melted down in the love of God for lost sinners and put into circulation and to try and reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of one of the signs of his coming. And if you know Christ as your saviour, ask the Lord, please lay across my path somebody I can manage to witness to. You know my limitations, you know my abilities. Give me someone I can witness to this week to be a, a testimony for you. And uh, I'm sure the Lord will bring that about. I had, uh, 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 when I was seeing the preparation for the children's talk, and for those who may be listening to this on, uh, on, on the audio later and haven't seen the children's talk, the children's talk today was connected with roller coasters. I saw a little joke about roller coasters in preparation. And a guy said this. He said, when you next go on a roller coaster, 
make sure you take in your pocket a handful of nuts and bolts. And when you've all got your seatbelts on and the ride is about to begin, turn to the guy next to you and say, dude, I found these on this floor under your seat. (laughs) None of us wants to be in that position, do we? Unsecure on a roller coaster ride. We need to be secure in Christ. And if you don't know the Lord as your saviour yet, come to him today. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's sing our last hymn, shall we, this morning?